I was wondering if either of you were botanists. Yeah, I'm more of a botanist than a botanist. This is a diverse and inclusive place. This podcast may contain adult language and themes. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Better Call Saul Season 6 Episode 3. My name is Adam and I'm here with our rock, Damien Cooper. I think the word you're looking for is audacious. And our hard place, Neil Shepek. Well, you better look too pretty. <laughs> oh no, we look too pretty. What are you going to do? <laughs> so, season six, episode three, Rock and Hard Place. There are going to be spoilers ahead for Better Call Saul. And we're going to probably start by talking about the biggest spoiler of them all. So if you haven't yet watched it, stop now. Um, or if you want to forward to the time code in the podcast description to hear other shows that we've been watching then you can do that now. So, big, big event at the end of this episode. Rest in peace, Nacho. What were your thoughts? There are good deaths and there are bad deaths. And there are good episodes and there are bad episodes. And this was an unbelievable episode. I absolutely loved it. And I couldn't believe how much I've grown to love and care for Nacho. And this episode was so well written so well shot and the performance by Michael Mando was amazing absolutely loved it and I thought it was a really poetic way of his ending which I suspected would happen anyway I didn't twig until part way through the episode and I'm sure we'll come to that that actually there was no other option for the character I'm gutted I had it spoiled for me I had to get I had an early start today and was going to watch it the second I was home. But at least two or three hours beforehand, it was spoilt for me. But no, I echo that. I've loved Nacho from the first moment we saw him in the show. Such an interesting character. The dynamic, the energy, all of that is brilliant. And I went on a bit of a a deep dive about Nacho. So as much as we say, oh, such a well-written show, there's no flab, everything makes sense, it's all preloaded to look back on, a lot of it is improvised. It turns out that Nacho was initially intended to be Saul's antagonist in the first series, and they wanted him, they wanted Jimmy to become Saul by the end of the first series, initially. But they liked what Bob was doing with it and they thought they were going to stretch it out a little bit more. And so because of that, Nacho's character got moved. They liked him and they brought him back. And that's one of the reasons why we don't see him so much at the end of the first series, it turns out, is because they were working out, right, what are we going to do with this guy? Because he's brilliant and we like him, but we've changed the, you know, the major dynamic for this first series. He was supposed to be a one season and done. And Michael Mando is such a brilliant actor that, for me, was... I know I've mentioned previously about Kim talking Lalo down, but I think that final monologue from Nacho is up there for me with speeches of the series. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I echo everything that you both said. I think Michael Mando was phenomenal in this episode, and it was a big shock for me because I think the reason it was a surprise was... Everything in the episode was leading up to his his death, and we'll come to those those moments and talk about those a bit more. But the glass in the hand, the shard of glass that we see right at the beginning of the episode, the shard of glass in the hand, the fact that he had this conversation with Mike over the 
the drink. I thought, oh, they've, they've concocted a plan. There's some sort of plan. And then as it was all happening and, and Hector and the twins and, and Bolsero is there and, and Gus and his men, and I was like, I can't see how he's going to get out, out of this at all. But I'm sure there's going to be some sort of twist in some sort of way. So when he finally stabs Bolsero in the neck and steals his gun and then shoots himself in the head, it was a big sort of gut punch for me. There was no other way. The sacrifice that Nacho made to save his dad. You know, we knew that none of the other characters in that final standoff, apart from maybe Bolsa, we knew all of them survived. So the thing they could do was to give Nacho, well, the death scene he deserved. And they absolutely did with, as you say, that final monologue, you know, saying, I hate all of you. And he wasn't just talking to the Salamancas, he was talking to Gus as well. And I guess we'll come to his relationship with Mike. I thought it was the perfect way for him to lead the show. I'd have liked it to have happened later on. I'd have liked to have had more of Nacho for some more episodes. But I do think it was the perfect way for that character to demise. Yeah, I, I, and again, I agree. I, I was doing the same calculation of, well, all of these characters survive. So as it was going on, that final scene, I was like, yeah, it's, it's got to be something incredible for him to survive this. But still, the, the shocking moment, because the plan was obviously was for him to run and for one of Gus's men to, to shoot him and it'd be quick. But the fact that he then he pulled the gun and then... If he did, his dad would be in danger. I guess the reason why he made the choice was because he was, well, he was stuck between a rock and a hard place, to quote the title. But the only way he could save his dad was to sacrifice himself, which is tragic, but but heartwarming, memorable, meaningful. It's, on, it's, it's certainly the best episode of this series. And Damo said possibly, well, certainly one of the best episodes of the whole series. Well, let's rewind then and take Nacho's story from the beginning of the episode uh, through through to that moment. I love these openings that we get in, you know, we have them in Breaking Bad as well as in Better Call Saul, where nothing is explained. Um, it's really, really beautifully shot. The camera's sort of panning around this dry, arid desert. It rests on a single blue flower, again, which I thought was potentially referencing the blue meth and wondered whether that would meant we were going to see Walter White imminently. And then we get the sort of thunder and the rain falling and the rain lands on this piece of curved, broken glass. I was wondering if either of you were botanists and were able to work out <laughs> what flower that was and, and maybe if there was some kind of significance attached to it other than the blue of the blue meth. I, I didn't recognise what the flower was, but what I did get from it, particularly with the kind of full circle at the end of the episode of showing the fresh-blooded bit of glass as opposed to at the beginning of the episode where the glass is still there but the blood isn't fresh anymore it's almost like i mean that is where natural died and it's almost like a flower bloomed from his death it was really poetic yeah i'm more of a botanist than a botanist well however you want to identify yourself adam this is a diverse and inclusive place Thanks, man. So we then go to Nacho escaping in the in the shot-up truck, which obviously hasn't gotten him very far. He runs out, hides in an oil tanker. Again, all of this is really beautifully shot. And then the twins arrive, and he sees that one of them's heading towards the tanker that suspects he's in there. So he lies down in the oil. Again, kind of this sort of almost coffin moment in the oil tanker. I thought the cinematography for that was fantastic. 
I was kind of shouting at the screen, going, what the fuck are you doing? There is no way out of there. If either of the twins managed to get into there, there's no way he would get out. And then, obviously, he ends up submerging himself in the oil. I thought that was just stunning. As he then gets out of that oil, and we've seen it when he first gets in there and he spots the twins walking through the field. But I just love that moment of him behind something, looking through a tiny gap, unseen, like the guy who was keeping an eye on him at the hotel, Octilius, which I thought was quite a nice little nod to that, that, that the watched had now become the watcher. So then we get this time-lapse sequence, bird's eye view of the oil tanker as it goes from day into night and Nacho finally gets out. And it was just gorgeous little sequence there. He discovers this car mechanic, good Samaritan car mechanic, as he's washing himself off of all the oil off him and he gets to use his phone and so he calls his dad and there was a lovely line in there of his dad telling him you know what you have to do go to the police and obviously Nacho did know by then what it was that he he had to do. Doesn't he also then say there's nothing else left to say my son isn't that his final line I thought oh my god Michael Mander's performance is so fantastic and I think I read somewhere someone describing it as a as an iciness that Nacho has and it just meant that when we had that scene where he was just vulnerable was just so powerful given what we normally see from him for me that was the point where I was certain he was going to die this episode the character knows that he's in too deep and he has absolutely no choice he also absolutely knows that he wants his dad to be okay and he completely understands, I'm slightly combining, as I'm talking now, because of my notes, with um, the conversation with his dad, but then also the conversation with Mike. Natchez knows what Gus's plan was. He knows there's no way out. He knows that he has to die for Gus to, I guess, to survive. And if Gus is in danger of not surviving, he his, his dad's life is at stake. He effectively says to Gus, doesn't he, something along the lines of, the only way this works for you is if I'm dead. Yeah. What I also think is really interesting is Mike has vowed to protect Nacho's dad. And I don't think Nacho and his dad's storyline is over yet. I potentially feel like Nacho's dad will remain in danger in some way and Mike will will be focusing on that because otherwise there's no there's no obvious storyline for Mike so with so many episodes still to go I think potentially Mike is going to be fighting to protect dad let's take it on a tangent talking about because it is so important in this episode Mike and Nacho's relationship I think it's a really interesting dynamic because it kind of mirrors Mike's relationship with Jesse in Breaking Bad. Nacho sees him, I guess, as a son figure, the son that he didn't protect and that kind of ongoing guilt that he has that he let his son be killed or he may have been involved in his son's death. We never fully know, do we? I don't think we're even told explicitly in Breaking Bad. So I, I find that really interesting how he keeps on finding these son figures and well spoiler alert jesse doesn't die but nacho goes and i think it's really interesting i mean we'll talk about it as the episode goes on but those moments between the two of them were just masterclasses in underacting damon from the future here 
Of course, I meant underplaying the moment, not underacting. What does that even mean? Anyway, as you were. I, I completely agree with that. And I think the foreshadowing of Mike's relationship with Jesse, based on particularly this episode, but a lot of um, Mike's relationship with Nacho, it's, it's like he's failed in the past more than once. And with Jesse, whether he succeeds, but maybe that is the reason why he works so hard to protect Jesse. It also explains why he's so adamant that Gus doesn't bring Nacho's father in, you know, in the earlier episode, that father-son relationship and his promise. I think the reason that Nacho trusts Mike to secure his dad's safety is is partly, you know, due, due to all of that. Our next scene with with Nacho is um, when they're unloading the Los, po- Los Poyos truck um, and we get Mike bringing up the floor once they've taken all the boxes and the cartons out and the close-up of all of these screws coming out. And I don't know if you spotted, obviously Nacho's underneath the flooring, I don't know if you spotted it, but the last box they actually took off the truck was a box of Nacho's. It wasn't really. <laughs> I picked the fact that when they lifted the guest floorboards, it looked like he was in a coffin, which I also saw as foreshadowing because by then I was pretty certain he wasn't going to die. So he gets to eat a, a Los Poyos meal. Um, and then again, we've talked before about how they can say so much with such little dialogue, but the when, tomorrow, tomorrow exchange was just said so much within just three words. And Gus thinks he's too pretty. So <laughs> Mike's going to have to duff him up, but they're going to have a little drinky. But also this is where... It's almost like it's only the hitman, Mike, that has any humanity here. We've got to do this, but I'm going to get you drunk um, so it doesn't hurt as much. There was compassion in that, and he, both of them resigned to you know, what had to happen, but he was doing it in the most humane that a situation like that could be played out. I will say this, I'm not sure how good Mike is at giving toasts. <laughs> Although, to be fair, he didn't need to say anything. The mutual respect, as we said before, between the two of them, they're people who work in a not particularly great world that have a relatively strong moral compass and they get stuff done. So I guess that that mutual respect that we talked about previously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And we next see them at at Gus's cabin. They come up with the story that Nacho's going to tell them. He's going to tell Balsa that it was Alvarez, um, the Los Odios out of Peru, which translates as the hatred or the hate, possibly reflecting Nacho's hate for the Salamancas. I'm not sure what kind of TripAdvisor review you'd get on Gus's cabin. (laughs) I was going to call it a porter cabin, but that's a brand name. Yeah, other cabins are available. Unless porter cabin wants to give us a cabin. Yeah. Absolutely. We're open to any sponsorship. So Mike wants to be there in case everything goes south and Gus agrees to this. And then we get this weird moment that made me write little question marks down where Nacho is looking around the cabin once he's been left alone and then looking down into this glass of water. I was like, what's that all about? But clearly this is where he gets the shard of glass that he uses later on. And we see pretty much in the next scene as Tyrus yeah. zip ties him, we can see the shard of glass in Nacho's hand. There's a moment just before that where Mike is saying goodbye to Nacho. I mean, does anyone do that sad face better than Jonathan Banks? Just phenomenal. It's like droopy. But it's Oscar-worthy droopy. That look was just something else. So good. 
Oh, and then all those, without wanting to jump ahead, sorry, Adam, classic demo. But when we got those cuts to him then looking through the scope and the continuation of that, oh, what a performance from old JB. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Jonathan Banks is amazing. It would be a complete travesty if there weren't award nominations for all of these actors, for Michael Mando, for Jonathan Banks, for Bob Odenkirk, for Rhea Seahorn, for Guy Plays Howard. Like, all of them really deserve it. And there aren't enough awards to go around. I know I'm going to be upset, whatever, when awards seasons come around, because they all really deserve one. Maybe we should make some special TV DNA awards that we can, mm. we can give to each of the actors in, in the show. But yeah, that brings us all nicely up to where we started the conversation and, and that, that final scene. Obviously, Nacho confesses to putting Hector in the chair. He absolves the chicken man um, before freeing himself, stealing Bolter's gun and then shooting himself in the head. There's a moment of comedy as the twins pick up Hector's wheelchair and carry him over to the corpse put a gun in his hand so he can shoot Nacho's corpse repeatedly. But what do you think the impact is going to be of this now on Mike and to a lesser extent, Gus? I think it just calls the war down, but not enough to, to knock it on its head. I'm not sure that the Salamancas truly believe it. And obviously we've still got to see what happens with Lalo. So I think there's some way that, that Lalo will work it out and that's what then maybe ratchet up the tension between the chicken man and the salamancas, or the chicken and the... I mean, what's a salamanca in English? A salamander? A newt? I don't know. Well, tune in, listeners, to the next episode when Damo might have worked out the answer to that. Obviously, Hector knows, doesn't he? Because he's spoken to Lalo. Well, he, he believes anyway that it was Gus that was responsible for the attack on the compound because that's what Lalo believed. So there was a, a little added layer to that whole story that Nacho was spinning. Anyway, let's drop that storyline for now. And then let's pick up with Jimmy and Kim, which was the other, pretty much only the two storylines going through this episode. One thing I just wanted to talk about, that final scene with Nacho. So that bit of glass that he uses, he cuts the tie off and frees himself. But I thought he stabbed Bolsa in the leg and then held it to his throat. But Bolsa didn't seem to be injured in his leg at all. He wasn't like, shit, I'm bleeding. It could be a carotid artery. He was just like, yeah, don't mind me. I'm just going to stand here and, and watch you shoot a corpse whilst I'm probably bleeding out of my leg. I, I, I didn't think that he stabbed in the leg. I think Nacho used the glass. Well, actually, the glass has blood on it, so he's definitely got blood on it somehow. Obviously, the expectation is that he was going to shoot Bolsa, but he didn't. He shot himself. Who knows which part of Bolsa's body that was stabbed, but definitely part of it was because it has blood on it. Yeah, I think there was blood from Nacho's hands when he was cutting through the zip ties. I thought he had stabbed Bolsa in the leg, but maybe Bolsa just had his thermal long johns on and that's why it didn't pierce too much the, the skin or maybe he has a wooden leg his name is bolsa after all <laughs> okay jimmy and kim so jimmy takes down a painting off the wall and behind it is a timeline made up of various different post-it notes hands up if you paused went back looked over all of the notes <laughs> just me then <laughs> 
so you get you get two opportunities to see it when he first takes it down where i saw notes saying things like costume casting there was a name jay stangle which i think is in phase three um, of the plan and phone call question mark and then i saw tour and there's a picture of a carrot and a cross face <laughs> but then later on you get to see the timeline and you can see that the first column is definitely the golf course there's a picture of the golf course there so that tour is related to that and the second column is the kettleman so the angry face is the angry kettleman people and obviously the carrot from the carrot and the stick so then yeah this third the third what he writes down on the post-it note and adds to it is Howard's license plate, which is Namaste with the final E as a three. So yeah, they're planning something with Howard's car and the conversation goes, there's not enough time for them to set up a dummy car and do what they need to do. So they've got to use Howard's real car. That's Kim's suggestion. Jimmy says it's a bit direct. And then Kim says, I think the word you're looking for is audacious. When, when you see the timeline the second time around, you get to see the end column which has a post-it note saying D-Day and an explosion or a mushroom cloud drawing on there as well. So it looks like there's quite a few stages to this plan. So it could well last for, for some episodes still. But the car plan is going to be a valet scan involving Huel, who will be invisible somehow. And Kim says that's slick. And Jimmy says, I think you mean audacious. So having a nice little play on those words. I think what's really interesting about this part of the storyline it well for me it's also Erickson's character Kim is getting darker and darker and she is really encouraging Jimmy as soul and she's also kind of establishing that in conversations I thought it was very interesting the now connecting Lalo's supposed death with Jimmy's storyline and the fact that he was representing him beforehand. The whole thing about do you want to be a cartel lawyer and the comment that this suit doesn't fit him. I thought this was a really interesting point both in Jimmy's journey to Seoul but also in Kim's contribution. Yeah, so it's Suzanne, who's the same lawyer that Jimmy Castle traded with in the stuck lift last season. Kim's handed over some evidence to her. Suzanne calls her over and they, they have a conversation. And Suzanne reveals that they know who De Guzman was, that Lalo is dead, and they've connected the dots from Nacho to Tuco to Lalo to Jimmy. And she says, Jimmy didn't intend to become a cartel lawyer. She says, it's not a suit that fits him, which I thought was a yeah, brilliant line, given that all yeah. of Saul's suits. But she presents a legal loophole way out for Jimmy. He won't be held accountable. If he says he didn't know about the fake name, then he can become informant. Let's not forget that Kim also corrects her and says, it's not Jimmy, it's Saul, which is huge. Yeah, absolutely. Kim is identifying Jimmy now certainly as a as a costume or a mask, as soul now, not as Jimmy anymore. She also reminds Suzanne that she called Jimmy a scumbag. Which was awesome. Also, she put forward to Jimmy, do you want to be a friend of the cartel or do you want to be a rat? And that could have been the title for the episode because that, that also reflects Nacho's storyline so well. Friends like that, who wants to have enemies? What I was going to say about 
that what I thought was really interesting when we go back to their apartment and she's sitting there and she she tells Jimmy that information. She, she in the first instance, well, I guess she is. She's kind of giving Jimmy a chance to hard reset and for this to go back to what it is. So she's sizing him up as to how much he's on for the con. But the other thing that I got from it is, is this foreshadowing is the reason we don't see Kim in Breaking Bad because she ends up becoming a rat. And that's why she goes into witness protection and we never see her. Whereas Saul never was a rat. He stayed a friend of the cartel. I really am interested in in that as a a theory. There's definitely a theory of there's no going back. Kim feels there's no going back for Jimmy and herself. And that's a really interesting theory that potentially she goes into witness protection. It means she doesn't die, but I kind of feel like she needs a big exit. Like she deserves it. Like the actress and the character deserve a big exit from the show. Isn't that quite a big heart-rending exit if she says, no, I'm going to tell and that's it. I mean, that's an irrevocable breakup. Jimmy loves the life too much. He's become completely numbed by it all. And the last thing is Kim saying, I can't live this life. Certainly the speculation that Kim and Nacho were somehow going to ride off into the sunset together has been blown out of the water. But who knows how it's all going to end up. But let's enjoy the ride. I want to just drop back a little bit to the meeting with Suzanne. She says that underneath all this showiness, Jimmy is a lawyer and a human being and he knows what's right. And Suzanne's just dropped a moral bombshell on Kim. And then before we get to the scene where Kim reveals all of that to Jimmy, we get the first part of the car con. So Tony, who's got an A in econ from night school, takes Howard's car and bumps into Huel after parking it, who lifts the car keys and gets them copied. And then we get a lovely conversation between Huel and Jimmy in the car. And he's asking why these two legit lawyers who are earning so much money are doing this. And Jimmy basically essentially tells him it's the Lord's work that by doing this con, people are going to be better off. Feels like Jimmy is... You know, he in his head, he is doing things for a good reason, for a good cause with this con. But Kim's choice of words, like, do you want to be a friend of the cartel or do you want to be a rat? For me, it feels like she's pushing him to become Saul in this. And, you know, all that you said earlier about her going down this sort of darker route, he asks her, doesn't he, a couple of times, two or three times in that conversation, what do you think I should do? And she's not going to tell him do this but it just felt that by her choice of words that was where she was pointing him towards the other bit i loved in that apartment episode we got a really nice hover over the fish tank which was a lovely reminder of lalo being in that apartment because he tormented that that goldfish when he was there anything else that you wanted to pick up on from the episode i think that's most of it covered demo i just want to say always great to see Hugh babano I would love to see him more in the show. I think he's absolutely fantastic. And have we seen the key cutter before? Not to my knowledge. I don't know. Any final thoughts then on this episode? R.I.P. Ignacio. Yeah, I am really sad that the show's gone. I'm dis- well, no, I'm not disappointed it's happened so soon because I'm sure there's reason for it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sad it's happened before I was ready for it emotionally. Rest in peace. Ignacio Nacho Varga, fondly remembered by all. Minute silence. Maybe we should take drugs for a minute. It's what Nacho would have wanted, as long as we gave the money to him for the drugs. 
Hold on, I've got to call my dealer. So, do you want to know the title of episode four? Yeah, go on then, why not? It's it's called Hit and Run. So we've had Wine and Roses, Carrot and Stick, Rock and Hard Plates, and now we get Hit and Run. Namaste. What else have you chaps been watching? I've not had the time to watch anything else. So you guys tell me what you're watching. Grand. Uh, so it's been a mixed bag for me. But an hour ago, I watched the first episode of Hard Sell, the Catherine Tate vehicle on Netflix. And it is not for me, I'm afraid. I'm a big fan of talented actors playing multiple characters in the series. I don't know. It just wasn't for me. I don't think it knew what it wanted to do with it. But, you know, it was only the first episode. So I guess it's a bit harsh for me to judge it, but I won't be watching the second. So... That's where we are. On the other side of the scale, I watched the first episode of Gaslit with Julia Roberts, Sean Penn, that dude from Downton Abbey. Dan Stevens is your uh, Downton Abbey chap, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, Diaz. And then, oh, God, the guy, there's another guy in it. He's very famous and it's embarrassing. I can't remember his name. I couldn't remember it when I was watching it. I was contemplating ditching my Stars Play membership. Maybe I should save it and, and see if Gaslit's any good. So you'd, you'd recommend? Yes, I would. And the other actor I was thinking of was Shay Wiggum, who you definitely recognise if you see his face, if you don't recognise the name. Really good. Lots of really interesting stuff. I'm not sure about Sean Penn at the moment. I feel like the fake fat suit's doing a lot of the heavy lifting, so to speak. But Julia Roberts is very good in it. Dan Stevens is okay in it. Uh, Betty Galpin's in it as well. Chris Bauer's very good. Just a good, solid cast. So I'm really excited to see what happens, but disappointed that it's being released weekly. I feel like that definitely could have been one that was released all at once for those of us who wanted to binge it. I also start watching on your recommendation, Dirty Lines, Adam. Haven't finished the first episode, but I enjoyed it so far. And I watched the latest episode of Inside Number Nine. I'd be keen to hear what your thoughts are, chaps, but I didn't like it. I fallen out of love with the series i really loved it up until the commedia dell'arte episode which i think was the first or second episode of the last series and I've, i'm i'm struggling to get back into it i have to say i i've watched the commedia dell'arte episode and i did actually enjoy it but i haven't watched the most recent one but as, as a series overall I would definitely recommend it for anyone who hasn't actually touched on it. Like, give it a go, particularly the earlier series. Like anything, you are going to get the odd duff episode. Yeah, so I was never a big League of Gentlemen fan. I just didn't really get it. But I had heard such great things about Inside Number 9. So the first episode I watched was this latest one, this new one that's just come out. I enjoyed it to the point where I was like, I, I'm going to watch a, a few more of these. I think I then went and watched the first two episodes of season one. And the first episode is just a masterpiece. The, the sardines where they're, you know, essentially it's, a, it's an episode about a game of sardines and it's just pure and utter genius. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the second one I, I enjoyed as well. So, I mean, this is their seventh season. So, uh, I think, as as Neil says, there's probably going to be a few duff ones, and how many sort of ideas they've they've got to, to keep churning these out. But I think the concept is, you know, is 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 good, and I, I enjoyed. I think it's something I'm going to dip in and out of um, over the next few months, and I'll, I'll try and watch a, a couple here and there. I'm definitely glad because it's been on my list for so long. 
glad that I've had a, an excuse to actually dive in and watch some. Okay, well, I have finished Raw, which whilst we're on the topic of anthology series, and I did talk about this a little bit last week. I was, I think when we recorded last time round, I was in the middle of watching the Merritt Weaver episode where she is talking to ducks. And it was just one of the most brilliant things I've, I haven't finished that episode, one of the most brilliant things I've, I think I've ever seen as, as a single episode, one of the best um, I've seen for a long, long time. But I also thoroughly enjoyed the next one, which had Alison Brie in it, solving her own murder. Um, all eight of these episodes, I think, are really, really strong. They're, there's sort of different types of stories. There's one that's pretty gruesome and, and, and kind of a horror story. The last one's a Western, um, which is right up my street with Alfred Molina in it. I can't recommend this highly enough. It's really funny. It's really fun. It's really thought-provoking. It's a, visually, it's stunning. That's a treat for the eyes and the soul, and it's food for the brain. It's just really, really great. I think feminist anthology are two words that might put some people off, but they are. Um, all these stories are set in very different sort of fantasy worlds where things like eating a photograph makes you relive a memory and things like that. Just really, really clever, clever writing, and all based on uh, a book by Cecilia Ahern. If the phrase feminist anthology makes you not want to watch something, I think you probably need to have a word with yourself, don't you? It's really, really great TV. Put that on the poster. Adam Hemming says, really great TV. Um, <laughs> just great, great writing, acting, directing, the cinematography, all round brilliant stuff. I mean, it's Apple TV, and it's just what we've come to expect from Apple TV now. So there we go. Also on Apple TV, I've been watching Tehran, following a recommendation from you, Damo a few weeks back and in the knowledge that season two of that's coming up very soon. 6th of May, we'll be getting season two of Tehran. Um, this is the story of a Mossad mission to get one woman out of Iran and an agent in so they can shut down the power so that there can be an air attack on a nuclear base. It's qu there's quite a lot going on in that first episode and um, it's, it takes a little while to get your head around it all. Um, but obviously things don't go to plan and the show then deals with the fallout of an, of an Israeli being stuck in, in Tehran. I found it a little slow in places, but it's really fascinating. I think similarly to P Pachinko, I was talking about the relationship between Japan and Korea, and I think you get a real you know, understanding of the conflict between Iran and Israel in, in, in this series as well. So I'm, I'm, I am enjoying it. I'm going to see it through. I'm about, I think I'm about halfway through. Something I've been a bit confused about um, is Chivalry, which I started watching. This is the Steve Coogan, Sarah Soleimani show on Channel 4. I struggled with this initially. I fell asleep twice. And Steve Coogan plays a kind of out-of-touch, old-school producer, struggling to cope, adjusting to the Me Too era. He kind of dated his secretary. He's a bit partridge at times as a character. So he's, he's kind of inappropriate and problematic. And then Sarah Soleimani plays an up-and-coming indie director whose last film was a big hit. And she's brought in to help on this blockbuster film that has all sorts of issues. And, you know, they have a, an okay chemistry and all the rest of it. There's a scene with an intimacy director where they're pretty much taking the piss out of intimacy directors. And it just feels really out of place and ill-judged in this sort of a TV show. And there's also another, there's another scene where Soleimani is pretty vile to a supporting actor, although she instantly regrets it. They're kind of flawed characters, both of these two main characters. And then I got to episode three, 
and it takes a real turn towards the end of that episode. And I was like, oh, okay, this is where we're heading. I think I'm going to continue. I'm halfway through now. We've got three more episodes to watch. They're only half an hour episodes. I'm going to continue and see it through because I have had it recommended to me and people have said that it's really good. So I'm going to I'm going to park my problems and continue watching. I'm glad that you finally found out what Channel 4 is for, Adam, after previously saying you didn't know what it was for, like the Dean Dorries. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, our non-British listeners, that is our current minister for culture, sports, and I can't remember what else it's for, farming, something like that. Anyway, she, she tried to sell off Channel 4 of which he had no idea about how it worked or was funded. I'm going to talk about Channel 4 a little bit later on, but I've got one more show that I've been watching, and I've only watched the first episode of it, but it's The Thief, His Wife and the Canoe, which is on ITV. This is based on a true story of John Darwin, who, facing bankruptcy, came up with a plan to fake his death. Um, Episode 1 deals with the plan and the immediate aftermath of that. Eddie Marson and Monica Dolan play two of the three titular characters. And Mark Stanley, who we last saw in Trigger Point, but who I also realised was Gren, Game of Thrones, which I didn't realise throughout the whole of watching Trigger Point. This show deals with coercive control and, and, and gaslighting. The story's told from Anne's perspective, John's wife, and she's a character that we have all the sympathy with. Both of them are really, really strong, good performances all round in this first episode. And again, I've heard really good things about this show. Had quite a few recommendations from other people this week, so that's one that I'm going to continue with. It's only four episodes. Apart from that, I have started Russian Doll. We talked a bit about that last week. Have you finished it, Damo? I've finished it, and I'm not sure about the ending of the second season. I think I need to rewatch it, because it gets really loopy in every sense of the word. Yeah, I think I'm about three episodes in, and I'm, and I'm it's not as, as smooth a ride as the first season was. That's all I'll say so far. So there's a whole load of stuff that's coming up, chaps. I'm going to try and rattle through this as quickly as I can because I know we're running long. Whilst I was on Channel 4, I spotted another Game of Thrones alumni. Ian Glenn is in a show called The Canefield Killings. I think it's been out for a couple of weeks now. It's a crime drama also starring Kim Engelbrecht about a criminal profiler who returns to her South African hometown to track down a serial killer in the sugar cane fields of KwaZulu-Natal. Got a four-star review from The Independent, and they described it as being so gruesome, you may struggle to keep your dinner down. It did look pretty good, so I might check that one out if I get a chance. Somebody else recommended to me another show that came out this week, Barry. Neither of you ever watched an episode of Barry? Yeah, I watched the first couple episodes. Well, the season three's out this week on Sky and Now TV. But this is about a hitman who discovers the joy of acting whilst he's looking for his target finds out that he loves it so much that he's ready to leave his old life behind. You didn't want to go any further than the first couple of episodes, David. Well, I mean, I think I've said this before with the Kaminsky method, I get a bit turned off by things about actors being actors. But maybe I was harsh on Barry because I know a lot of people absolutely love it. Um, Well, it stars Bill Hader, Sarah Goldberg and Henry the Fonz Winkler. So again, yeah, I might check a little bit of that out. And then we've got so many brilliant shows coming out at the end of this week. Uh, We talked a bit about 10% last week, which is the UK remake of Call My Agent. That's out on the 28th of April. And then we've got the final seven episodes of The Ozark Demo. 
I will talk a little bit about Shining Girls whilst we wait for Damien to come back. So Shining Girls premieres on Apple TV Plus on Friday of this week, 29th of April. Um, and again, I think we mentioned this one before, but it has uh, Elizabeth Moss as a Chicago newspaper archivist whose ambitions are put on hold after enduring a traumatic assault. Again, there's sort of quite a lot of buzz around this show and Elizabeth Moss is incredible. So I'm sure that is going to be good as well. Damo, did you have any thoughts about the Ozark? I'm excited about that coming back. Adam, I believe you and I are going to do maybe a mini episode in the lead up to the second half of the final series. What's happening this Friday? Barbara, we best get to work then. Grand. Uh, just, just some other bits that are coming up a little bit further forward. Um, the Staircase, starring Colin Firth and Tony Collette, comes out on the 5th of May. It's about a man accused of murdering his wife. That's going to be on Sky Atlantic. Already mentioned Tehran season two. And The Time Traveller's Wife is upon us fairly soon. 16th of May. This is the science fiction romantic drama based on the novel by Audrey Niffenegger. And it stars Rose Leslie, another Game of Thrones actor. If you or anyone you know is in Game of Thrones, feel free to contact us on the socials. You can find us at TVDNAPod on Instagram and Twitter, unless Elon Musk cancels our account for being a bot. You can also find us with TV Space DNA in the Facebook search bar, or just put TVDNA one word in Google. You'll find us that one, maybe too. Fab, thank you very much, everyone. We'll be back next week for the fourth episode of the final season of Better Call Saul. Goodbye. Bye. It's been audacious.